we doing, everybody? I mean, how we doing, Metro, both of our campuses? You guys awake? You guys alive? I am so glad to see you. Let me uh, start by asking a question. How many in the room would say that you were the kind of guy who loved school? You were like the lady who just, you loved school, like you went to college and then you like changed degree to get another degree and then another degree and you've just never really finished. You just keep going. Anybody says, that's me, I would love that. Anybody? You're strange. Okay, so, uh, but how many would say, on the other hand, like, you know what? Uh, I like education. I'm glad I got an education of some kind, but I am not a school person. I do not want to go back to school. That would be torture to me. I would never hope to go back. Yes. So I was doing some reading, and I came across this very interesting thing um, about a guy who just really loved this idea of education. His name was uh, actually Nickel, uh, his name was Michael Nicholson, and he's from Kalamazoo, Michigan. He's 71 years old, and he has 29 college degrees. 29 college degrees. This is what he said, quote, this is a quote from him. He said, I just stayed in school and took menial tasks to pay for the education that I got and just made a point of getting more and more degrees. And eventually I retired so that I could go to school full time. That's crazy. Nicholson, listen to this. Nicholson has uh, two associate degrees, one bachelor's degree, 22 master's degrees, uh, three specialist degrees, and a doctoral degree. Most of them are in education or the education field, like school librarian, you know, gym teacher, school teacher, uh, school counselor, psychologist, all that kind of stuff. But he also has like finance degrees, and he is now pursuing his 30th, 30th degree, and it's in, uh, to be in a master's in criminal justice. Now, here's the crazy thing. Now, this is nuts. So I went back and I tried to research this guy a little bit. I'm like, what in the world? Who does this, right? And this guy has really never actually worked in any of the fields that he's got a degree in. He's worked temporarily, but never built a you know, career. In, in, I'm thinking, who in the world does this? Okay, so, I mean, I love education. I really do, but I do not love going to school. Okay, y'all with me on this so far? And uh, that brings us to our current series. We are in the old school series. That's the response I thought I would get right there. And so uh, this idea of the old school series is we want to learn and to understand the Bible, to grow deep in our understanding of particular books in the Old Testament part of the Bible. And so we are in this series called Old School, and it began many, many years ago. We decided that we wanted to understand this story of God. And so we started at the book of Genesis. We thought we were going to take 10, 12 weeks and go through it. And uh, now 12 years later and like 75 parts later, uh, we are still studying and we're going kind of book by book. We kind of come and go into this series. And, and the goals never change though. We, we want to understand the heart of God. We, we want to understand the character and nature of God. We want to understand the ongoing story of God. And listen, friends, how you and I fit into that story, how you and I are part of God's ongoing story. And so some of, some of you think as we enter this old school style teaching that you're going to go, oh, this is going to be boring and irrelevant and you're ready to check out. Friends, don't do that, please, because I think that you're going to find it incredibly relevant. I think that you're going to be actually shocked at how much it connects with your life. Because though the world is vastly different, and it is different every, what, 10 or 20 years, the whole world seems to change. I mean, our world has radically changed in just even the last 10 or 20 years. But the stories that we're looking at go back thousands of years, and their story is not much unlike your story. Your, your story and their story are very, very similar. Because what makes humanity, humanity has never really changed. People have ups, and people have downs, people have struggles, and they have joys, they have victory, they have losses. Uh, they they, they want to know where God is. And this has always been the story of humanity. And so I think by the time we're done with this, you're going to walk out of here going, whoa, this could have been written about my life. Because really, it could have been written about your life. So are you ready for this? Are you ready for this? Uh, we are currently in the book of Jeremiah. He's one of the ancient prophets. Uh, and 
His words come to us from 2,600 years ago, roughly. And uh, my hope is today that as we kind of begin our journey deep into the book of Jeremiah, that we're going to just kind of take a backup, bird's eye view, a big picture view, an overview of this book. And I'm going to tell you right now at both of our campuses, here's my hope, that no matter where you come from, uh, if you're brand new to this thing called faith or if you've been around the Bible things for a long, long time, my hope is, is that all of us will walk out of here with just, in the very least, a greater understanding of this one very important book of the Bible called Jeremiah. My hope is that you'll walk out of here understanding how it works and how it's laid out and why it is important to you. So are we all on the same page? We good? Okay, so here's what we're going to do. I'm going to start by asking God to teach us, to visit with us. And, and I get it. Listen, uh, we're all in very different places. Uh, some people come in here with a strong faith, and some of you are coming in here, and you are just checking it out. I think it's great that both of you are here, and all that are in between. Because this is a place to take your next steps with God, to grow together. And, and I think, though, one of the ways that we do that, no matter who you are, is to ask God to speak to you directly. So, uh, could we just at both of our campuses bow for a moment, and I'm gonna lead us into prayer, and then we're gonna jump in to the book of Jeremiah, okay? So, Father in heaven, um, we pause for a moment and ask that you, God, would teach us. God, that you would open our lives, open our souls to you. God, that we would hear your voice, Lord. Uh, that's our desire. God, I pray that I would be out of the way and that, that I won't confuse any of the issues, but God, that your spirit would penetrate the hearts of men and women. And so, Father, we've said this a thousand times and we'll say it again. Speak, oh God, for your child is listening. Amen. Amen. Well, last week we opened up this book of Jeremiah. We were introduced to this man named Jeremiah. Uh, how many of you were here for this uh, first part? You were here. Uh, and if you missed this first part, I say with all of the humility that I can, I would beg you to go back online and watch part one. I think it would serve you very, very well to understand uh, where the backdrop from this man comes from. And it will help you to understand what we are going to learn from him because there is much to learn from this man named Jeremiah. Uh, we talked uh, last week about this idea that there is a calling given to Jeremiah. There's a calling that is placed in his life. Uh, we learn that he is called to be a prophet. Uh, and literally, this is not like a pastor. This is different that, that, especially in the Old Testament, that there was this calling that would go out to certain men that they would literally become the voice box for God on earth. And Jeremiah receives this calling where, where God is saying, Jeremiah, I'm separating you out for a very particular job, a very particular um, uh, calling, a, a role. And, and his ministry that he developed, I'm gonna, I want to tell you this, is that it was uninvited. And it was a long, long journey. And it was deeply, deeply challenging. It wasn't something that he wanted. It wasn't something that he signed up for. And friends, uh, this is really about our lives, right? I mean, come on. How, how many of us, we talked about this a little bit, how many of us have been just cruising along, everything's fine, and then something comes that was uninvited? And it is not something that just comes and goes, but it is a long deal, that it is an arduous task, and, and it is a deeply challenging thing for long periods of your life. Anybody? You know what I'm talking about then, right? You see, because there is a difference between a, a, a momentary difficulty and a life that is difficult, right? There, there is a difference between like a speed bump in life that challenges you than there is a life of challenge. And Jeremiah enters this life of challenge where it is just difficult for a long, long period of time. And I think there's a whole bunch of us in this room that understand this. And if you don't understand that there will become seasons of your life that are dark, that are difficult, that are a challenge upon a challenge. If you haven't experienced that yet, let me just tell you something. You just haven't lived long enough. Because it will come, my friend. It will come. 
And uh, what we learned from Jeremiah is how to, how to deal with this, how to deal with the emotions surrounding this. And God is going to speak to us through Jeremiah's, Maya's life. And so uh, my hope is, is that we'll walk out of here with this understanding and we're going to go back to the very first chapter. Jeremiah chapter one, we read part of this last week, but we need to start there again today. And so if you have a Bible, uh, we're going to turn up the lights a little bit and I'd love for you to read along. Or if you have a smartphone, uh, there's a, an amazing thing they come out with. It's called Google. And uh, you can just type in Jeremiah chapter one, Jeremiah chapter one, and it's a miracle. It'll just pop up there for you. It's crazy. Okay. And uh, I would love for you to follow you along. So we're going to read these three verses and then I'm going to show you some things I think will help put it into perspective. Okay, here we go. Jeremiah chapter one. You all ready? You all ready? Okay, campus, video campus, you ready? Let's do this together. Jeremiah chapter one, starting in verse one. The words of Jeremiah, son of Hilkiah, one of the priests of Anath, Anath uh, in the territory of Benjamin. So he is a son of a priest who uh, assumingly has a role as a priest or a pastor, this Jeremiah. And he is from this town and uh, in the territory of Benjamin, which is just north of Jerusalem. Now listen, it says, the word of the Lord came to him in the 13th year of the reign of Josiah, son Son of Ammon, king of Judah, and through the reign of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, down to the fifth month of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, son of Josiah, king of Judah. So three kings in a row, right? Which span, we learned, about 40, 42 years uh, until when the people of Israel were taken into exile. Now, this whole opening is something we go, all right, yada, 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 get to the meat. No, no, friends, listen, this is the setup. This is saying that Jeremiah was a real man from a real town, a real family with a real job in a real place in history. And, and, and for any reader of this era, they would understand immediately what you are talking about, where he is from, and what time in history he is placed. But you and I often don't understand this. And so if it's okay with you, what I'd like to do is I want to back this out a little bit. And I want to see where Jeremiah comes in the point of history in which he lands. Does that make sense? I want us, I want us to see the big picture of where Jeremiah lands in human history. So just track with me on this. We've got a little timeline for you. Uh, at the beginning of creation, where does the story of man start? Anybody? All right, we got struggles here. Where does the story of man start? Adam and Eve at the beginning. So we have Adam and Eve. Uh, and then there's this guy a little bit later than Adam and Eve. His name is Noah. These are some of the highlights. Uh, Noah had a boat. He had a boat. Okay. And uh, there's this thing called the Tower of Babel and all the languages came about. Sodom and Gomorrah. God says uh, the immorality of our world. We're going we're gonna to not tolerate that. And then we're introduced at the year 2000, roughly BC, to a man named Abraham. He is one of the oldest recorded persons in human history. We know that he existed around the time of 2000 BC. Uh, Abraham became known as the father of faith because God, for the first time, was calling a movement out of the world that would be separate unto himself, that would identify differently than the rest of the world. He was developing through Abraham a faith community. Now, after Abraham, uh, we know that uh, a little time goes by and a, uh, the people of, of God, the Israelites, uh, they entered into the land of Egypt because of slavery and they had screwed up some things and God literally disciplines them by taking them into the land of Egypt. And it was in the land of Egypt that they were there for 400 years, roughly, 400 years, and God raises up a man named Moses and Moses says, let my people go and eventually he leads the people of Israel out of Egypt into this thing called the promised, promised land. And that was around 1487 BC. And Moses dies around 1440 BC and a man named Joshua uh, and then another man named Caleb eventually become the leaders of Israel, right? And they're entering the promised land at this point. 
in roughly 1025 BC. Uh, and then there's a series of judges, by the way. Anybody ever hear of the book of Judges? So there is this time period in Israel's history where they were not political. They didn't have a government. They didn't have kings. They didn't have, you know, a civil law per se. It was ran by people who literally God chose and would represent them like, like, Biblical judges and, and priests and that sort of a thing. But eventually, the people of God, Israel, they look around to the nations around them and say, well, we don't like the fact that they have kings and palaces and armies, and all we got is God. And so they demand something more than God. They demand an earthly king. And God says to them, you don't want to do this. This will not end well. Because men will always lead you astray. Always. But they demanded a king. And so God does not fight the will that he gives you, the free will that he gives you. They demand a king, and so he gives them a, key, a king named King Saul. Anybody hear of this guy? Well, King Saul became the first king over Israel uh, in, in the year 1025 BC. He reigns for almost 20 years, and one of the things that we learn about Saul is that his heart was fully devoted to God at first. But as he got older, his heart became corrupt, and his heart abandoned God. And friends, this is a repeated story of humanity, isn't it? And friends, this is the repeated story of our lives where there's moments where we are devoted and then we fall away. We let something else take God's place in our life. And so God removes King Saul and replaces him with a man named David. And David was a very special king who loved God. Um, and the kingdom became united under David. The people of Israel grew and became a mighty and powerful nation under King David. And a, but King David's heart wandered as well. And he eventually had a son. He hands the kingdom to his son. And his son's name is, anybody? Solomon. King Solomon. And King Solomon starts off strong. But he is led astray by wealth and by women. That's never happened to any of us. But... It happens to King Solomon. And his life starts so strong, literally ends in a disaster. It is corrupt and broken. And his children are handed the kingdom. And under his children, the kingdom becomes divided. And this is a very important part of the history of Israel is that there became two different kingdoms. It was no longer united under one common banner, but it became a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. The northern kingdom became known as Israel, and the southern kingdom uh, became known as the kingdom of Judah. And this was around 930 BC. And then after this time, uh, though they had kings, God says, I'm still going to poke my nose into this a little bit. And God raises up a series of prophets, men who came and spoke boldly to the king and said, you're screwing it up. You need to keep focused on what is important. You need to follow God. Some of these kings followed God and some did not. And it did not go well for the people of Israel. And eventually we learn that there is a major movement of history and the Assyrian Empire. Anybody remember the Assyrian Empire from school? Anybody at all? Why do we pay for education? The Assyrians. Anybody? It's a big deal, right? Uh, this massive empire was really a forerunner, an early runner of what was to come with major civilizations like the Greeks and the Romans. But Assyria was really one of the first to put together a major world dominant empire. And roughly in seven, uh, 722 BC, uh, the Assyrians sweep down from the north and they sweep into Israel and they destroy only the northern kingdom. Now it's interesting, the southern kingdom survives for another 100, 150 years. And why is that? Because God promised, if my people would turn to me, and if they would humble themselves, if they would seek me, even just a few, I will protect you. I will protect you. And so the southern kingdom lasted through the Assyrian Empire. They, they were able to fight off the Assyrian Empire. But at this time, we, we see that this character enters the story. His name is? Jeremiah. And in 650 uh, BC, Jeremiah plops down in Jerusalem and he begins his ministry, roughly, uh, to start to speak to the people of the southern kingdom in particular, saying, listen, if you don't keep focus on your relationship with God, it is not going to end well. It'll be just like the kingdom of the north. You're going to lose and lose big. You need to follow God. How do you think the people listened not so 
well. And we see that eventually Jeremiah begins to prophesy about this coming kingdom from the north, the people known as the Babylonians. Anybody ever hear of Babylon? Babylon the Great? Babylon? Anybody? Well, eventually this kingdom arises. And listen, with striking detail, Jeremiah says in advance, there's a kingdom coming. You haven't heard of them yet. And there's a king coming named Nebuchadnezzar. You haven't heard of him yet, but he's coming. And he is going to destroy everything that we have built here. Not because he is stronger, but because God is going to turn us over to them as judgment for our sin. And so what we learn is that in roughly uh, 587 BC, in the second year of King Nebuchadnezzar's reign, he lays siege to Jerusalem, the mighty city of Jerusalem, and he conquers it. And he utterly destroys it, flattens it. And he has this political philosophy where, where he takes the prisoners of war and instead of allowing them to remain in their territory, he thinks one day they might rise up again. So in order to keep them from rising up again, he takes them and scatters them across their empire. He takes families and communities and utterly tears them apart so that they no longer have a community to rise up again in. Make sense? And so this is a very uh, emotional thing. It's a very powerful thing. The people of Israel are no more. There is no more Israel. They are scattered among the nations, as they say. And so uh, roughly, uh, this happens in 587. Jeremiah dies just a couple of years later, a few years later. And uh, he goes into the history books, as they say. And then lastly, we see one of the great movements of history is that after the Babylonians, there comes another empire, the, 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 the Persians, anybody? The Persians, Persia, right? The Persians come and they literally take over the world. And Persia was really a forerunner of the great Roman empire. And it's an amazing movement of history. So are we all on the same page so far? Now you know where Jeremiah lands, okay? So we all good? We all good? Both campuses, we're good? So listen to this. Jeremiah enters a story when humanity was going through unbelievable sweeping changes. Jeremiah, Jeremiah finds himself not only in these sweeping changes, but in the middle of all of these sweeping changes. And so what I want to do is I want to give you an overview of this book. Uh, and, and I got to tell you that I got the flow of this overview primarily from a place called the Bible Project. The Bible Project. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but I would suggest that you would Google it sometime because I think it will help you to understand any book in the Bible better. It will help you understand God's word to you better. It's called the Bible Project. And uh, they're, they're amazing. It's all free. You can, you can check it out. And uh, uh, it, it's designed to help us as, as common people. It takes somebody like me who isn't like a scholar and it helps us to understand all of this. Does that make sense? So we good. So the book of Jeremiah is really a graphic but very important picture of showing that disobedience to God carries a great price. That there is a blessing for obedience and there is a curse for disobedience. And the people of Israel uh, repeatedly refused to listen to the Lord's instruction and they followed their evil desires away from the heart of God. And yet one of the things we're going to learn in this book is that though the people turned their hearts away from God. God never turned their hearts, his heart away from them. He constantly called to them and reached toward them and moved toward them. He said, if you would just repent, if you would just turn toward me, I will bless you and I will care for you. But one of the things that you need to know about justice, about God, about God, is that justice can only sleep for so long. Does that make sense? Because if he's God at all, he cannot look at our sin. He cannot look at our evil. He cannot look at our lack of morality and justice in this world and turn a blind, blind eye to it. He must do something about it. And justice can only sleep for so long. And so in one final act, God chooses a man named Jeremiah to give the people of Israel, the southern kingdom of Israel, one more chance Turn from your wickedness or you're going to be exiled to this place called Babylon. And with striking detail, we're going to see that, that, that God speaks through Jeremiah and says, I'm going to tell you, it's going to come from the north. There's an army that's going to be raised. That army is eventually going to be called the Babylonians. And they're going to be led by a king. And he names them King Nebuchadnezzar. And you're going to be taken into exile. And you're going to be there for 70 years as a nation. You're going to be removed. How long is 70 years? That's a lifetime, isn't it? He's saying your entire community, all of them, every last one of them will die in a foreign land because of your sin, 
because of your idolatry, because of your injustice. And sadly, we learn that Jeremiah's words become a reality. Jeremiah actually lives through the siege of Jerusalem. He actually lives through the exile where he's taken out of the land of, of Israel and he's moved toward Babylon, which is in modern day Iraq. Anybody ever hear of it? Like Babylon is like in the dead center of the modern day Iraq. And that's where he, he lands. And now what's interesting, check this out. This book comes into existence in a really interesting way. Uh, in chapter 36, we are told something, that after 20 years of Jeremiah's preaching in Jerusalem and to the surrounding countries, uh, we, are, we learn that God speaks to Jeremiah and says, you've been doing this for 20 years, and what I want you to do is I want you to start a collection of all the messages that I've given you. I want you to write them down. I want you to write some of these stories down so that the people who come beyond you, after you, can read them for, for, for themselves. Now, it's interesting. Like, in the modern world where, where I live, and, you know, they record every word that I say up here and put it out for the world to see, so I got to be really careful. Okay? Does that make sense? But in Jeremiah's day, that wasn't the case, was it? They had to be very purposeful to record things for the next generation to see. And so Jeremiah does this. And Jeremiah accomplishes this by hiring a man, a scribe. Have you ever heard of a scribe? scribe. He, he hires a man named Baruch. And Baruch is, is uh, this scribe that is, that is hired to record the life, the times, and the messages of Jeremiah. And so what is a scribe? What is a scribe, Pastor Jay? What is a scribe, right? Well, so glad you asked because a scribe is, a, is, is somebody who is a, a professional writer. Uh, in, in a time where not too many people were literate, those that were often literate and could read and write, they would often hire their services out. They would enter a career as a scribe. And so politicians, uh, military, businesses, religious leaders, they would hire these scribes to document everything proficiently and correctly. Does that make sense? And so they would be employed to, to imprint something, to inscribe something. This is where we get our English word scribble from. I'm just kidding, I made that up, I have no idea. But it could be, right? I mean, it makes sense, scribe, scribble. I mean, it does kind of make sense. Just go with it, y'all good, right, with that? Okay, so, uh, but, but Baruch, he comes along and he starts to write down and compile all of Jeremiah's work into one section of scrolls, one, one book, if you will. But he also does something else very, very interesting. Baruch just doesn't go back and go, all right, give me your old notes from your messages, I'm gonna write them all out and figure it all out. No, 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 no. He is so fascinated by Jeremiah's life because he is this lone voice crying out and nobody's listening to him. Nobody cares what he says, but he just keeps at it. He is persecuted and beat down. And this fascinates Baruch. And, and so Baruch ends up looking at his life and he begins to record some of the persecutions and stories that weave themselves into this book called Jeremiah. And that's why this book reads as an anthology, which is basically a collection of stories, because that's what it is. Baruch is looking and going, all right, we need to place this here and tell about this. And I know this was your message, but the surrounding information is really, really important. So I want to include that. And so that is the book that we have. And all of it has been arranged to present this prophet as a messenger of God's justice and God's grace. All of it. So the book begins, like we talked about last week, with the calling of Jeremiah. He's given this dual role. Some of you remember that he was called to be a prophet to the nation of Israel and a voice to the world around. Right? And we're going to learn that he was called to build up and to tear down. He was called to uproot and to root, to plant and to unroot. And, and he has this dual kind of a role in his life. In other words, he will accuse Israel of wrongdoing. He will accuse them of immorality and injustice. But he will also carry a message of God's hope in the middle of it all. And this message of judgment and hope really fits perfectly in summarizing the first large section of this book. The first 24 chapters, chapters 1 through 24, are really a collection of stories, of, uh, stories and messages that come from Jeremiah's life before, before the exile uh, of, of, uh, of Israel began into Babylon. 
We're going to take a look at some of these uh, stories and messages later, and it's going to be an amazing thing. Uh, and if you think that it's ever passionate around here, if you think that it's ever creative around here with, with the way messages are given, you ain't seen nothing until you read Jeremiah. He is so descriptive. He is so passionate about what it means to have a right relationship from God, with God. And I'm telling you, uh, we're going to breathe deeply from this, and it's going to be good. Y'all good? You all ready for that? It's, it's so good. I'm telling you, it's going to be so good. Um, but the core idea of chapters 1 through 24 is that Israel has broken their covenant with God. I want you to get the big picture of this book. The first 24 chapters is, you're screwing up. You're walking away from the God that loves you and leads you and brought you to this place in life. And he says, your relationship with God is just broken. And they've done this in a number of ways. Uh, for example, they've adopted the worship of other gods, especially the Canaanite gods. They built shrines and temples all over their country to other gods, false gods. Now, that's a little crazy, right? Because you and I would never, ever make something out to be God in our life other than God. We, we just wouldn't do that. Right. I mean, this isn't really much different than us. Now, we might not bow down to some stone idol that somebody made at Walmart for you, but we'll bow down to other idols. We'll let other things come first. We'll let things consume our money, our time, our effort, our energy. We will love other things more than God. And God calls that idolatry. Idolatry, and one of the things that we learn from Jeremiah is that idolatry is adultery. One of the things that Jeremiah does is he starts to paint these very vivid pictures, very graphic pictures of what it means to walk away from God. He says, he starts using these sexualized terms and saying, listen, when you break your relationship with God, he begins to paint this picture that God is a good husband that deserves your loyalty. And he says, you become a fornicator. You become an adulterer. You become a prostitute. You, you're, you're leaving your bridegroom. You're, you're leaving your, your, the man who loves you, the husband that loves you and is holding on to you and who's faithful to you. And you're not being faithful. And he's very, very graphic with this. Very graphic. And, and, and he does another amazing thing in this section, 1 through 24. He, he's very bold. Jeremiah is very bold. He has no problem hearing a message from God and going to the leaders, the political leaders, the business leaders, the religious leaders, and saying, you guys have got to knock it off because you're supposed to be representing God. You're supposed to be creating a community of faith that matters. But you are full of hypocrisy and full of, of injustice and you're not caring for the poor, the widows, the orphans. He says, you're overtaxing people. You're demanding too much people. You're putting religion on people that is keeping them from God even. And he says, you better stop it. So how do you think that goes over with the political leaders of his day? It doesn't. And they go after him. And he comes every day comes every day, every day, and just preaches this bold message, day after day after day. And it's like he goes into battle, and everybody's out to kill him, everybody's out to get him, and he just kind of squeaks right out of town every day. Almost like for 40 years, God's hand was over this guy protecting him, because he held nothing back. Israel's leaders didn't seem to care that they were violating God's law and God's word that established them as a people to begin with. As a matter of fact, we're going to look at this a little bit later, uh, but one of the big deals that Jeremiah makes, and he says this is like the greatest offense. You want to hear what the greatest offense that the people of God that were supposed to love God made against God? You want to know what it is? We're going to learn that he eventually says this, that he says, the worst thing about you guys is that you go to church and you act like you love God. You act like he's important to you. You play religion, but you do not serve him. You do not sacrifice for him. You do not put him first in your life. You go after idol, other idols all week long. And then you come back here next week as if he is first and most in your life, but you know full well he is not. And sometimes I swear he can be talking to me. And he can be talking to you. And he can be talking to us. Because this is us. 
We learn actually that the people who say they love God end up adopting these practices of the Canaanite gods, even to the point where the people of Israel were sacrificing their own children at the altars. Think about what I just said. They were supposed to love God and the people that God created, and yet they were sacrificing their own children. Something had broken their soul. Something had come in between them and their relationship with God. And friends, Jeremiah says, this will not end well. He stands up against this. And he says, it's time to turn or you are going to be in trouble. And so the first 24 uh, chapters are basically this series of of messages and warnings and and teachings from from Jeremiah, calling God's people to to repent. And then chapter 25, something radical changes in the book. Something big happens. You know what happens? In chapter 25, it's like the hinge point of the book. He says, it's too late. He says, I've warned you about the coming judgment. And I've told you over and over that if you turn toward God, God will give you mercy. But in chapter 25, it changes. And he says, God knows that you won't. He's given you free will. And he understands now that you have rejected him. And he says, judgment is coming. And it's just a matter of time. You can't turn it around. Don't try to fake it because you've had your chance. And so in chapter 25, he begins to do one of these illustrations that he has, right? Uh, he's so creative and, he's, and, he, and he gives this message where there is this, he pictures this wine glass and he says the wine is meant to be a gift from God. It's meant to be full and beautiful. But he says, but this wine glass is overflowing with the wrath of God, with the judgment of God, with the warnings of God and it's overflowing and you will be destroyed by it. What God, what, what God meant was his relationship with you was supposed to be beautiful and holy and mean something to you. But now, but now because you have rejected him and turned from him, it's like a cup of wine that's overflowing and that overflowing is the wrath of God and God's going to use and he names it very, uh, very specifically. He says, Babylon's coming and there will be no turning back now. And then, there's a, a, another shift in, in the story. Uh, Israel hasn't turned. And so in chapter uh, 25, uh, or from 26 on, he begins to, to paint a different um, series of, of stories. He, this time it becomes about what it's going to look like when Babylon attacks, what it's going to look like when they lay siege, and what it's going to look like when you're exiled. And what's interesting is he spends chapters 26 through 45 uh, kind of describing what that means for Israel. But then he takes chapters 46 through the end, 52, and he says, but that's not only Israel that's going to have a problem here, but it's the whole world around Israel because the whole world had heard the message of God's goodness and grace and they rejected it. And what's interesting is we learn that God's going to use Babylon, who he calls evil. Listen, who he calls evil as a judge against them. I think that's interesting, isn't it? God doesn't find any favor with Babylon. But God's going to use Babylon to show Israel that he means business. So there's a a big picture going on here, right? Jeremiah has begged and pleaded with Israel to change and to turn to God. And it's filled with story after story. This section is filled with story after story about how dark and terrible and how the disaster is going to come their way. But right in the middle of this, this last part of the book, in chapters 30, 31, 32, and 33, now listen to this, listen to this. He drops in, boom, a message of hope. God says, you know what? I know that you're not going to turn around. I know that you're not, but if you would, I will show you grace. Now, does anybody go, woo? Because if, is it just me or somebody else been all caught up in stuff that they shouldn't be caught up in and their heart's starting to wander? And God says that any single time you turn around, I will, I will forgive you and I will restore you. Somebody needs to say amen. 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 And I can't wait to get there because we're going to talk about judgment and warnings and evil and idolatry and then we're going to talk about God's hope in the middle of it all. I think that's good. I think that's good. Nobody else is excited. I'm excited. I think it's wonderful. I think it's just great. Uh, So now let me show you how this moves in the human story because the world 
begins to change. So I'm going to show you a series of maps very, very quickly. Look at this, look at this real quick. Uh, so first of all, this is a Google picture of the world. Uh, in the middle is the Middle East, and you see Israel kind of boxed out there. You see Iraq and Saudi Arabia and all these modern-day countries. You see Africa down to the left, uh, Europe up and to the left, and, and to the east, of course, is the Far East and China and all that kind of stuff. And, of course, you got crazy Australians down in the bottom corner. Uh, but, but look at this. I want you to see how small Israel is. It's that little triangle. I don't even know if you could see it. But it's a little triangle about the size of New, uh, New, New Jersey. Very, very small. And yet, this country has been at the center of the eye of the world for all of human history. Does anybody find that to be a little odd? Does anybody? Isn't that a little crazy? How it has been at the center of human history over and over again. And so we mentioned a few empires that, that came along, right? So check this out. Uh, this was the Assyrian Empire that came along. They came primarily further from the east and swept around from the north and tackled right to the border of Jerusalem, remember, the northern kingdom was conquered, but the southern kingdom was spared for all of the Assyrians. Now, think about how crazy that is. A dominant global empire at this time comes, and this little country of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah, holds them off. Very interesting, because why? God wanted to give blessing. God wanted to give grace. And so look at this real quick. Uh, this is a picture of the northern and southern kingdoms, right? And the Assyrians eventually swept down, took the whole north. And I want to point out something real quick. You see Jerusalem right there. Jeremiah lived three miles basically due north or up from Jerusalem. Very small little village. And almost every day, Jeremiah would walk about two hours a day back into the city, into the capital, and back out to his home. I think that, I'm guessing the guy was skinny because of that. I don't know. But, but I think that's fascinating, right? Just three, three, three miles north. Okay, now check this out. Uh, and so what comes next is the Babylonian Empire. It's a little smaller than the Assyrians, but Babylon rises up and, and takes over the Assyrian Empire, kicks them out. They kind of fall apart. And now you'll see that the empire extends further south toward Egypt and consumes the rest of the southern kingdom of Israel. You see that? Okay, now check this out. Here's what happens next. Then, you may remember this from your history class, this little empire called the Persian Empire comes along. Anybody remember this? They were often called the Medes and the Persians because they kind of were one empire that kind of formed together. And what's interesting is that this empire comes just after this, how long did Jeremiah say? 70 years in exile to Babylon. And at year 70, God raises up another king from the Persians to fulfill his word that it would be 70 years that you are in exile in the lands of Babylon. And the Persians come and kick the Babylonians out, take over the world, and they become the forerunner to a little empire called Rome. Anybody? You heard of this? Okay. So are we getting a picture now of Jeremiah? Real man, real time, real space, real life. Anybody with me so far? My hope is that we have just an elevated view of what is going on. And so the big picture is this. 40 plus years, uh, Jeremiah is called to this, to this very difficult life. It's uninvited. It is a long, long road, and it is deeply challenging. He, he calls people like you and me, everyday people, to obey God, to turn to God. But no one listens. He begs, he pleads, and no one responds. Jeremiah uh, lives to see his own words fulfill. He personally was in the city of Jerusalem when the city was laid to siege by the Babylonians and was taken out of Israel and was moved to modern-day Iraq, which is basically in the very center of modern-day Iraq. And he lives to see his own prophecy fulfilled. Friends, let me tell you something. Have you ever tried and tried and tried and tried and tried and tried for years and years to accomplish something? Anybody in the room? Anything? Anything at all? You've just tried and tried and tried. And it doesn't happen. It is hard, isn't it? It is very discouraging. It would be depressing. Well, Jeremiah has this great inner turmoil over the fate of his people because he has begged them and he has pleaded with them, but they will not listen. And he cries these tears of sadness over and over again. And the people of Israel start calling him the weeping prophet. The weeping prophet. Because he is so broken, not just that they would not listen to him, but because they denied their, their relationship with God. They denied what God was trying to give to them. And he knew that they would. 
And this broke his heart. And besides that, here's another interesting thing we learned from Jeremiah. In chapter 16, remember he was called to be a prophet when he was very young. Anybody remember this? He was very, very young. In chapter 16, when he's still a young man, we learn that God tells him he is not to take a bride. Now in Israel, all the people, you got married. That's just what you did. And, and especially if you're a religious leader, you most certainly got married. But God says to Jeremiah, Jeremiah, you're going to go this alone. It's just you and me. You're not allowed to have kids. You're not allowed to take a, a wife. You're going to be alone in this. And we learn that his friends, his family, they all turn away from him. And he is utterly alone in his call. Friends, uh, how would that make you feel? You see, because listen, when you don't listen to me, I come here, preach my heart out, you don't listen to me. I go home and I got a wife who at least listened to me. Lynette will at least listen to me. Jeremiah goes home alone. And, he, and this leads to incredible uh, feelings of depression inside of, inside of Jeremiah. He was discouraged. He sank into this quagmire where, where many believers, like you and me, where we often end up, where we get stuck, right? Uh, he becomes depressed. Anybody in the room ever get stuck? Anybody? Come on, let's be honest. Anybody in the room ever struggle with depression? I have. And I'm not necessarily talking about clinical level depression. That's a real deal. It's a real deal. But I think every single one of us, if you live long enough, you get stuck. And you think your life isn't going to go anywhere. And, and, and suddenly you, you start to wrestle with deep feelings and emotions and your mind gets clouded and, and games start to play in your mind. And, you, and in many of us, we get to this point where we think that, that nothing good is ever really going to happen in our life. And some of us get to the point where we find that Maybe life isn't even worth living anymore. Or at least life isn't worth trying for anymore. I think depression is real. And I, and I think it happens in our life. I want, I want you to hear this. I think it happens because we, we make efforts that aren't making a difference. I think depression comes or a funk comes or a slump in life comes. I think it happens when, when you think you should be somewhere in life by now, but when you step back and you assess your life, it's not happening. And you're not where you thought you would be. And so something happens internally inside of us and we, we begin to lose focus and we begin to slide deeper into this thing called despair or to, uh, or to de uh, depression, Right? And I think depression happens when we feel that, that our dreams and our goals and our ambitions, that they're actually slipping away from us and we're running out of time to catch them. And this is a real deal, friends. And what happens with Jeremiah is he becomes emotionally exhausted. He becomes emotionally broke. And some of us know what this is like. He's broken. And here's what happens when we become emotionally exhausted. Listen to me. We lose our focus we lose our hope. We lose our joy. We lose our direction. And Jeremiah confesses this to God. Jeremiah 15. I just want to read a couple verses. And it says this. Jeremiah cries out to God. He says, why is my pain unceasing, my wound incurable, refusing to be healed? You hear this? You hear that? He says, why is my pain never going away? Why is there brokenness inside of me every day? I'm supposed to be your man. I'm trying to listen to you. And yet every single day, it's pain. It's suffering in my life. I am alone. Anybody ever feel that way? Where are you, God? And listen to what he says. Will you be like a deceitful brook, like waters that fail me? You know what he's saying? He says like, you know, we living in the Middle East. He, he's like, man, water's precious. And he goes to the brook thinking it's going to be beautiful and fresh water. But he goes and it's nothing but brackish. In other words, it's polluted. It's tainted. You can't drink it. It doesn't refresh. And he's like, God, you're tricking me. You say that if I show up for you every day that you'll show up for me. But you're not showing up because I am showing up and you're not there. And this is bumming me out. It's depressing me. Anybody ever feel that way? But look what God says to him in response. Listen to this. This is amazing. He says, but God's not done with him. He says, God responding directly to Jeremiah's funk. He says, 
Therefore, this is what the Lord God says. Y'all ready? He says, if you repent, I'll restore, uh, I will restore you that you may serve me. If you utter worthy, not worthless words, you will be my spokesman, Jeremiah. Let, the, let this people turn to you, but you must not turn to them. And I want you to notice something here. Uh, there was no coddling with God. There was not a lot of hand-holding like Jeremiah. Like, like when our friends come, like, I'm really depressed, man. I'm really struggling. What do we do to our friends? We go, oh, you're, I'm so sorry. And oh, you'll be, you'll be fine. People love you. You're great. You're, you're awesome. You know what God looks at Jeremiah and his depression? You know what he says? And I'm not saying that there's not time to coddle and say, I'm so sorry, blah, blah, blah. I'm, I'm sorry. Listen, I'm not saying that, that don't go away from here. Facebook and Jeremy has no compassion. You, no, 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 listen, listen, listen. You know what God says? Knock it off. He says, repent. And I'm thinking, like, what do you repent from? You repent from feeling bad? Is that a, is that a sin? What, you, you repent because you're like, oh man, I'm kind of bummed out. Is there, no, that is not what God is calling him to repent from. You know what God is calling him to repent from? He's calling them to repent or for, for Jeremiah to repent for the lack of trust in his life. From the lack of obedience. For the lack of hope. For doubting God. You see, because he says, Jeremiah, your job is to go and I will handle the results. But you are to obey me. You are to serve me. I called you. You have my hand. You have my promises. And all you are to do is to go do what I want you to do. And you don't trust me. You don't trust me. He says, if you do what I want you to do, if you utter words that are worthy, Jeremiah, you're not worthy, but I will use you. I will use you. Jeremiah, I'm not far from you ever, ever. Now, I'm not saying that there are not a lot of good reasons to feel depressed in life. And I'm not saying that there are not moments where you feel life is collapsing and you are bummed out and you are, you're broken. I'm not saying that at all. But what I am saying, what I am saying is that, that if you look to the world for your joy, you've got deep problems coming. If you look to the world for your peace, you got deep problems coming. But that if you, you, you can have all kinds of bad things that can give you good reason to be depressed, but I'm telling you, you got better reasons to be full of joy. And that is because God has promised to be with you. He's promised to meet you in your journey. And so we learned from Jeremiah something I think very important. <laughs> that every believer, and uh, even the great prophets, even the great prophets will struggle deeply with faith. That they will struggle deeply with hope and direction. And that if you struggle, you are not alone. You are not alone. Trust him. I don't know what God has called you into, I don't, I don't know the struggle. I don't know the ministry. I don't know the issue. I don't know the tension. I don't know. But I know that he goes with you there. If you trust him, if you call out to him, he will meet you.